Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work online at textfootball.com. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Like us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Follow us on Instagram, Dave Campbell's. And folks, the season is over, but we're just getting started. <laughs> and now, obviously, you may have no- noticed the past couple of weeks that we've moved to more of a once-a-week sort of system. That's kind of how it's going to be the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months as the off-season unfolds. But we're going to be with you through it all. And uh, look, some of it's going to be trying to find some stuff to do, find some stuff to talk about. But it's college football. We've always got plenty to talk about. You know, before we know it, it's going to be signing day. Then it's going to be spring camp, summer camp. College football never stops. And uh, that means that we over here at Dave Campbell Sex Football will never stop covering it. And look, a few days ago, you know, usually I release a show on Wednesday, but... uh, we just had to wait a little bit and see what the heck was going to happen with a couple of things. And the NFL almost came in and ruined everything in the state of Texas. <laughs> and when I say that they ruined everything, I mean, obviously I'm being a little bit hyperbolic, but on Wednesday, at the same time, <laughs> these two things are going on at the same time. Uh, Baylor coach Matt Rule was a finalist for the New York Jets job and was considered by many to be the favorite for the New York Jets job. And then at the same time, the Arizona Cardinals, now coached by Cliff Kingsbury, the former Texas Tech coach, they uh, were targeting Texas State coach Jake Spavadol to be offensive coordinator. So in one swoop, we were worried in one day that we would lose two coaches from the state of Texas in one day to the NFL. And I mean, I haven't necessarily covered every school in the state of Texas for that long, but I've covered the big 12 for a while. I covered the SEC for a year. I don't know if there's a year that I've felt like the state of Texas and the big 12 and, and all these schools have been so affected by the NFL. I mean, granted you lose coaches and assistant coaches to the NFL every so often, but to have so many coaches be targeted, not just obviously the two that we mentioned, but also Cliff Kingsbury, who's no longer in the state of Texas, to have so many guys with Texas connections be targeted by the NFL, that's that's different. <laughs> you know, and it's really just a sign, I think, of where the NFL is right now. You know, I've always kind of said that I feel like the state of Texas has been on the cutting edge of what offense is going to look like heading forward. And I think we're starting to see that bear out. Uh, Sean McVay obviously has kind of changed everything with the way that he's coached up Jared Goff in Los Angeles. And now every single program is looking for that young offensive coach that can come into the next level and make things happen. And again, Cliff Kingsbury is just next in line to be able to do that with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and and now Matt Rule does not fit that mold. Matt Rule is not one of those coaches. He's obviously more of an overall NFL-style, defense-first, hard-nosed sort of coach. Um, but but with Jake Spavadol and with Cliff Kingsbury, I think you're obviously seeing that that that's what's happening. And and even with Lincoln Riley, who was targeted a little bit by some NFL teams and quickly shot down uh, the decision to do it. And the reality is Lincoln Riley, for sure, is going to have other NFL offers heading forward. And he has the opportunity to build something at Oklahoma over the next 10 years. And the thing is, if he builds something over the next 10 years, he's still only, what, 45? And will have plenty of time to receive other NFL offers 
Um, and, and I think that that's kind of where Jake Spavital was at, too. And I think that's where Matt Rule was at, too. You know, these are all pretty young coaches. Rule's a little bit older, but he's still early 40s, I believe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's been a while. I don't think that we've seen the NFL affect football in the state of Texas this much. And it could have been even more so. Because the thing about it, right, is that these NFL decisions never happen in a vacuum. They never happen in a vacuum. They so if Matt Rule ends up leaving and taking the New York Jets job, which it sounded like there was a real chance he was going to, then all of a sudden Baylor has to make a hire late in the game. You know, maybe they go just up the road, up 35, hire Seth Luttrell maybe? I mean, I don't think that you can count that out. And with Texas State, it's like if they lose Spavital, maybe they go down the road and hire Eric Morris from Incarnate Word maybe? Now, I'm not saying either of these things would have happened. This is not necessarily inside information, but you have to imagine that those guys fit the profiles of what these other programs would be looking for. And then all of a sudden, North Texas might have to make a hire, and Incarnate Word might have to make a hire. And maybe some other program realizes, oh, wait, we're not happy with this. We want to try to switch somebody out. Maybe somebody you know gets a coordinator hired away. Maybe Graham Harrell, for example, uh, gets hired by Texas State. I don't know. There could have been quite a ripple effect in the state of Texas if, if Rule and or Spavadol had taken those jobs. Obviously, we end up avoiding it. <laughs> Thank goodness we end up avoiding it. Uh, we have Matt Rule back. We have Jake Spavadol back for his first season at Texas State. But I don't know. I think that this is maybe going to be a trend heading forward. And I think Latrell is, is one of those coaches, too, who maybe in the next couple of years could be that kind of next in line if, if he if Latrell does eventually take a power five gig and eventually I think you know he'd be the sort of offensive mind too that I think that people would have to look at I mean what people forget about Seth Latrell is that he really helped prop up that North Carolina program when Larry Fedora was there uh he helped develop Marquise Williams and at North Carolina turn them into a 12 win program uh 11 or 12 I think it was Maybe it was 11. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was 11, actually. But 11 and 2 program. Um, so you do all of that. No, I'm right. 12 and 2 program. So at North Carolina, anyway, th- this is all beside the point. At North Carolina, Seth Luttrell helped build up that program into one that was in the ACC title game. Um, one that was in the ACC title game. One that was, uh, you know, playing at the highest level. He leaves, takes the North Texas job. One year later, Mitch Trubisky at North Carolina helps prop up the program a little bit. But then, uh, you know, after Trubisky leaves, and maybe Trubisky was just an incredible quarterback because as soon as he leaves, North Carolina falls apart. And, uh, you know, without Latrell there, the program just falls apart. And so I think that if you look at the situation like an NFL team, uh, you know, Latrell, I think, should be a guy that they should be looking at heading forward too. I mean, I think that this is a guy who clearly is one of the best offensive minds in the group of five right now. And, uh, you know, and I think that he's only been here for what, this is his third year. You know, he's still building up the personnel there too. He's been able to do it a little bit, obviously at quarterback, at the wide receiver position, some of the defensive positions, but, you know, running back's a work in progress. Offensive line is very much a work in progress. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Latrell, I think maybe heading forward could fit that mold too, but at the same time, I mean, when you talk about NFL coaches, there's always sort of a typecast. There's always sort of a, a trend, right? You know, again, right now it's the Sean McVay molds, uh, finding guys who are great young offensive minds who are being innovative. But that'll pass eventually, too. So we'll have to see how that affects the state of Texas. But I think over the next two to three years, especially if a guy like Kingsbury has success, especially if 
McVay, you know, maybe wins a Super Bowl at some point. I think that that's going to be the new norm, and I think the state of Texas is going to be ground zero for finding this next group of great offensive coaches. So it'll, it's something that will be interesting to watch. Again, we'll have to see whether it truly, truly affects uh, the direction of the state and of the Big 12 and of, you know, obviously A&M too and the group of five. We'll have to see. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Talking, going from teams that have some great offenses to, to one that really doesn't, uh, I did want to mention real quick about UTSA. Uh, UTSA decided to promote wide receiver coach Jeff Castle to offensive coordinator. Now, when you talk to people around UTSA, and especially when you talk to, you know, when, when I've talked to people who've talked to Frank Wilson, he really believes, Wilson does, that Castle is sort of a great future coach. Like, he thinks that... Jeff Castle is going to be the guy heading forward. And and there was even some thought that, like, they just brought in Al Borges to maybe try and, you know, hold things over as Castle kept learning. But, I mean, Castle was one of the first hires that Frank Wilson made while at UTSA. He's the longest-tenured member of the staff. Uh, he was a receivers coach and passing game coordinator last year. And at this point, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say that Castle is Frank Wilson's last chance. You know, and maybe maybe just on the staff, maybe UTSA's administrators were just like, we don't have the money to, to fire Borges and, and replace him with somebody else. I mean, that's probably at least some factor. You know, because, you know, we, we talk about these Power 5 schools a lot, but at a Group 5 school, you, you don't necessarily always have the money to just be able to make as many staff changes as you want. At Houston, you can do that. You know, maybe at UNT, to an extent, you can do that. At, you know, at SMU, I think you can do that, but, like, at a lot of these Conference USA schools, you can't just be throwing around money and firing coordinators. And uh, and so Al Borges is still officially on staff. <clears throat> and then obviously you're talking about Castle, and Castle's just being promoted from within. And look, again, for Wilson is really high on him. And UTSA had a lot of issues last year that had nothing to do with actual offensive scheming. But... Again, what you have to think about, too, with Castle is that he was the passing game coordinator. And if you were to talk about the biggest issue on UTSA last year, it was the passing game. There were four quarterbacks who ended up playing for UTSA, and all four of them combined to complete just 50.5% of their passes for 1,918 yards, ten, uh, nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and just 4.7 yards per pass attempt. Only one receiver on the entire UTSA roster, and again, he was receiver's coach, Posted more than 250 receiving yards. Now, plenty of that has to do with quarterback play. That's not necessarily just an indictment of of Jeff Castle. Um, But, you know, now as offensive coordinator, you're not necessarily getting a whole lot of new players in there. Frank Harris is obviously the one addition that you hope can jump in and take care of the UTSA quarterback position because he was hurt all of last year. But, I mean, talk about the guys who were there. I mean, let me... There was, uh, obviously, the main starter was Cordell Grundy. He led the team in passing. Uh, DJ Gillins, uh, the Weeks kid, and there was one other, uh, Bryce Rivers. So, I mean, you tried a bunch of different quarterbacks there, and all of them were not good. And, I mean, just generally, I, I think you talk about this idea sometimes of just a quarterback coming in off the streets, a quarterback coming in and just being ready to play right away, even though he's never played in your system before. And just looking through UTSA's signees, I mean, what? They have a quarterback coming in from Midland, uh, Sudden Sapien, and that's 
Uh, oh, and then they've got oh, that's actually kind of an interesting one. They've actually got Lowell Narcisse coming in, the uh, the former LSU quarterback who spent a year at the JUCO level, but Narcisse isn't necessarily a sure thing either. I mean, I know that he played at LSU, but he's more of an athlete than he is a thrower right now. And you know, I haven't seen him during the whole JUCO stint, but. You know, it, it's again, you, you have two guys coming in and you'll have, I think, basically everybody back next year and you'll have Frank Harris back and you do kind of hope that Harris can take over the position. But a lot rides on that position. I mean, UTSA this year became the first team since 2014 to average fewer than four yards per play. And so much of that was built around the fact that UTSA couldn't get anything going in the passing game. You know, we talk a lot about establishing the run to open up the passing game, but UTSA had good running backs, you know, with Jalen Rhodes and B.J. Daniels, and they still couldn't open things up. And so teams would just load the box every single play, and UTSA's quarterbacks could not make them pay. Now, again, maybe Frank Harris can come in and do that. Maybe Lowell Narcisse can come in and do that. Who knows? I mean, really, who knows? Uh it just sometimes it does just take a change in personnel and maybe Jeff Castle really is this offensive guru who can help fix things but you look at UTSA's schedule next year the the improvement needs to be immediate <laughs> for really there's there's no way around that the the improvement does have to be immediate because in the non-conference slate you play Texas A&M you play Baylor you play Army those are three games that are probably losses now they don't have to be losses but they're probably losses and then uh you know in the in the rest of the schedule you play at north texas you play uab now uab is actually really rebuilding so maybe you can steal a game there since they're playing at home but at louisiana tech florida atlantic southern miss those all look like losses at old dominion is a 50 50 game i'd say at utep should be a win but it's just it becomes harder and harder to try to find wins on the schedule. And the one game that I'd be not worried about, but one game that could completely derail everything is week one against Incarnate Word. Now, UTSA should beat Incarnate Word, but Eric Morris's squad was really good late in the year. They really managed to pull things together. They want to share the Southland Conference, which is becoming a very competitive conference. They beat Sam Houston State, a traditional power, uh, and... They had their first playoff appearance. It, uh, yeah, their first playoff appearance, I believe, in UIW history. So things could get off the rails very quickly because, again, you play Incarnate Word at Baylor against Army at North Texas. Those are your first four games. Like, one in three is the most likely scenario, I'd say. And in some ways, I think 0-4 oh is almost more likely than 2-2. Two and two. You know? I mean, maybe you find a way to win that Army game, but, like... Army's really good. They're really, really well coached. And UTSA doesn't have to play against true option teams all that often. And then at North Texas, North Texas should be a 9-10 win team. In fact, they should be a 10 win team. Uh, you play at Baylor. Baylor's an 8 or 9 win power 5 team. And they recently lost you, so they're not going to overlook you either. I don't know. Things things get ugly. Jeff Castle is going to be a big hire for them, or a big promotion for them, rather. Uh, and they're going to need one of their quarterbacks to step up and do some nice things because otherwise UTSA could be in a lot of trouble. Anyway, we're going to move on to our guest. We've got former Texas Tech defensive back Deshaun Johnson. Uh, he was actually out at the College Gridiron Showcase, which is actually a 
so you know you t- you talk about the senior bowl you talk about the east west shrine game uh the college gridiron showcase is actually one that takes place in the area out in fort worth um and brings some of the more mid-tier prospects that want to get noticed you know there's a lot of kids who are sort of uh, later kids on big rosters, so like a kid like Deshaun Johnson maybe, and uh, P.J. Locke was out there. We'll actually have an interview with him next week. There are a couple of other relatively known players. And then obviously plenty of, uh, of sort of small college players. You know, Leighton Rabb, the quarterback from Midwestern State, was out there. Uh, a lot of players like that. We, we got to talk to him too. A couple of Commerce players, a couple of Mount Union players. It's a cool event. I mean, all 32 teams were out there, and apparently on one day, the Cowboys had 14 scouts there. And it takes place right in their backyard at All Saints Episcopal School in Fort Worth. But still, to have 14 scouts there, that that shows you just how legitimate this event is becoming. Uh, it was a great opportunity to go out there and see some kids play, see some kids try to chase their dream. And we talked to Deshaun Johnson about a couple of different topics, uh, you know. Obviously, we had to talk about Cliff Kingsbury taking the Cardinals job, uh, just fixing that defense, what his draft process looks like. So stick around, and we'll be right back with you after the break. We're joined now by Texas Tech defensive back Deshaun Johnson. Deshaun, how are you doing? I'm doing good. So obviously, we're here now at the College Gridiron Showcase. Uh, how do you think the last couple of days have gone? It's been well. Um, a lot of guys out here competing for jobs. Uh, I mean, trying to live out their dreams. Uh, I mean, it's been a lot of fun. Great energy, and uh, just excited to be out here. Well, you're not dressed out today. Why is that? I just kind of had a little growing strain um, from the fir- uh, first day, so just kind of playing it safe, trying to get see if I can make it to the scrimmage tomorrow. You, you know, obviously, over the course of your four years at Texas Tech, you know, you really proved that you can be sort of a dynamic playmaker. What's the biggest sort of questions that you've heard from scouts, talent ev- evaluators during this process? Uh, it's just kind of size. I mean, I, but I've heard that my whole life, so it's nothing nothing new to me. Um, just another obstacle i got to get over, man. I'm just I mean, excited to, to get through this process, uh, get to training, and, and try to have a terrific pro day. And then uh, I go from there. Um, I mean, I'm confident in my game, and I know what I can do when I'm on the field. So size has never mattered to me, and uh, I'll be able to prove that whenever I can. Why do you think they do have these questions about size? Do like does it come when it comes to coverage skills? What what exactly is it about? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I think I have this play that I can cover, I can tackle, uh, do everything else that I need to do. So uh, I'm not 100 percent sure what what the size question is, but. I mean, like I said, I've had it my whole life, and uh, it's, it hasn't bothered me at all. You know, I mean, just frankly speaking, obviously, Texas Tech is in a school that's uh, that's necessarily always been known for defense. Have have scouts been able to see the film and see that you've been a productive playmaker through all that? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Some of them, I mean, they watched the film. Some of them said they, they've heard from others, but they haven't watched for themselves yet, but they'll get to do that. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I just try to do the best I can when I'm on the field, and and, and just let my play take care of itself. You know, uh, have you gotten a chance to talk to new Texas Tech coach Matt Wells yet? I have not. Um, definitely looking forward to it. Um, I'll probably be back down there sometime on a weekend or something because I still have to get some things out of my apartment. So I'll definitely stop by and meet him and the rest of the staff. You know, obviously it's sad to see Cliff Kingsbury leave Lubbock, but it sounds like he might have some other opportunities <laughs> real soon. Are you surprised to see that he's already such a hot commodity? Not at all, man. It's one of the greatest coaches I know, uh, hardest workers. Um, first one uh, first one in the building and, uh, and on every morning, uh, last one to leave, man. He's smartest coach I've ever been around. Um, and that, as you can see that, I mean, his offensive schemes are second to none. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for him, excited for him, and uh, 
I know he'll do great things wherever, even if he ends up staying at USC or going to the NFL. You know, uh, obviously the last couple of years, you guys have sh- Texas Tech showed so many signs. And, you know, wh- why do you think, you know, you guys had trouble getting maybe over that hump a couple of times? Uh, honestly, I don't know. It's been, it's, it was unfortunate that we couldn't. Uh, we were confident in, in our last two or three teams, honestly. So we thought we had a run. We could make a run at the Big 12. Um, we were in a lot of games the last two years. Come down to one possession here, one possession there, uh, turnover battles and things like that. But yeah, it was unfortunate. Um, but I'm excited to see what Coach Wells and his staff can do because I know I know what type of guys they got on that team. Was it gratifying to you in your senior season to to sort of t- uh, turn the tide a little bit defensively and really again win a couple of games with your defense? Yeah, it was it was exciting. Uh, that was something like me and Dakota had talked about a long time ago. Uh, when we first got on the campus that we want to change the defense around and uh, it's slowly coming along and like I said we got a lot of there's a lot of young guys on that team that that can definitely help and uh, they got a lot of senior leadership back with Broderick and uh, Eli's a veteran and um, I mean it'll, it'll be exciting to see these guys coming up in this next season. Have you and Dakota kept in touch through this draft process? Oh definitely yeah we talked just about I say three times a week, if if not more. Um, just calling, make sure, checking on each other, seeing how their workouts are, and how my workouts are. So we, we're just kind of just going back and forth with it. But we'll, I mean, we'll continue to, to keep up with each other. So what do the next couple months look like for you in the lead up to the draft? Um, just training six days a week. Um, just making sure my body's right, trying to get as healthy as possible and in and, 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 and as best shape as possible so I can go out and, and have a productive pro day. You know, you hear about training for the draft and all that. What does that actually look like day-to-day? Uh, day-to-day is, I'd say, is roughly around a four- to five-hour workout. Um, mixture between speed, power, strength, skill work. Uh, definitely got a – nutrition is a huge part as well. So uh, it, it just varies a different, different – um, training facilities but that's that's how my day is awesome well this is text tech defense back Deshaun johnson Deshaun, thank you so much for joining no us appreciate it thanks again to Deshaun johnson for joining the program and i really do think that Deshaun is gonna end up being one of the most underrated players coming into this nfl draft class uh you know they mentioned concerns about his size i'm sure concerns about playing at texas tech and immediate you know kind of below average defense but when Deshaun johnson and dakota allen were on the fields Texas Tech was just a different defense. And unfortunately, Deshaun missed a lot of time early in the year. Dakota Allen missed a lot of time late in the year. Uh, so, you know, the, the numbers were kind of inconsistent just because both were dealing with injuries for a lot of the year. But when both of them were together and healthy on the field, this was a pretty dang good defense. You know, the, obviously, I think against Ole Miss, it became obvious just how much they missed uh, Deshaun Johnson. And even in their game against Houston, uh, when Houston was kind of able to move the ball at will against them, uh, Deshaun Johnson not being out there made a big difference. I think that it just takes one NFL scout to turn on his tape and see that he's a special player who makes plays all over the field. Uh, I think he really might have an NFL future. I, I'll be curious to see. Thanks again to Deshaun for joining the program. Anyway, that's actually a good place to move on. Um, so at this point, there are nine players who have entered early into the NFL draft from the state of Texas. Four players come from Texas A&M. Jay Sternberger, my gosh, tight end Jace Sternberger, I, I don't know why I can't speak today, apologies Jace, uh, linebacker Tyrell Dodson, running back Travion Williams, uh, offensive center Eric McCoy from Texas, wide receiver Lil Jordan Humphrey, 
From UTSA, linebacker Josiah Tauefa. From North Texas, wide receiver Jalen Guyton. From Texas State, tight end Keenan Brown. And, of course, from Houston, defensive tackle Ed Oliver. Now, Oliver declared before the season. I mean, he we knew he was gone. He's a three-time All-American. He's one of the best players to ever play at Houston. We knew that he was going to be gone after year three. Uh, and Keenan Brown, actually from Texas State, he was actually awarded another year of eligibility, a sixth year, uh, after transferring from Oklahoma State. So it's not necessarily a huge shock to see those guys leave. Um, you know, probably the most surprising name on this list to me is probably Jalen Guyton from North Texas. Now, I think that he was a guy who started his career at Notre Dame. You know, he was a guy who was a very, very highly rated recruit, I believe coming from Allen, uh, and had decided to transfer back from Notre Dame to UNT. Had two really good seasons there with his uh, two years of eligibility that he used up at North Texas. But, I mean, I don't know. Wide receiver is a crowded position. It's hard to kind of separate yourself. And, uh, you know, in his two seasons, he had over 1,500 receiving yards combined. You know, eight, over 800 his final season, his junior season at North Texas. But I don't know. I mean, this seems like one of those things where he just feels like he can't improve his stock a whole lot more. Now, I think he'll get drafted, but wide receiver, again, it's it's a very crowded position. So I, I don't know what exactly he's going to do to separate himself. Uh, obviously, we wish him all the best, but... I'm not exactly sure what the plan is. Now, there's there was talk that Guyton was going to kind of leave regardless, and he just decided to go to the NFL instead of transferring. So if that's the case, okay, fine, so be it. But I'm kind of curious to see how NFL guys see him because he is a special player, but he also is sometimes a little inconsistent and sometimes doesn't uh, you know, have that same level of effort on every single play. So that'll have to change, obviously, at the next level. And there's every reason to believe that it can because he's talented, but I'll, uh, I'll be curious to see what happens. Um, you know, Travion Williams, Lil Jordan Humphrey, those were kind of no-brainer decisions, too. Uh, Lil Jordan really emerged as a junior, proved that he can make big plays, make big catches in traffic, make uh, plays after the catch, too. You know, between him and Colin Johnson, uh, you know, that was really the centerpiece of Texas' offense, that Sam Ellinger didn't have to take too many chances. He could just kind of throw jump balls to these giant wide receivers. I want to say that Lil Jordan is... 6'4", and Colin Johnson was 6'6". So, like, you know, you're not necessarily having to make too big uh, decisions when you're Sam Ellinger since you can kind of just trust your your receivers to make plays. So, a little Jordan entering the draft wasn't a big surprise. Now, Texas did get some breaks because a couple of guys did end up coming back to school. Notably, Brandon Jones, a safety, came back to school after missing three games this year. Missing four games this year, rather. Uh, Colin Johnson did end up coming back to school. So that should help set them up for next season. Uh, if they lost both Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey, I'd be legitimately pretty worried about their offense. But since they at least have Johnson coming back, I think that's going to help. And they got guys like Brandon Eagles coming in who should be able to contribute right away. Um, you, you know, again, you look up and down the board again. Uh, Josiah Tauefa, I mean, it does kind of suck that UTSA has to lose him. But this is a guy who was a linebacker who proved very quickly that he could be one of the best in Conference USA and really national caliber. Uh, his numbers were only okay this year, but that has a lot more to do with a UTSA team that just wasn't very good at doing anything on either side of the ball, really. So Tawefa was kind of just, he just stuck out because he was a lot better than everybody else. Um, and now UTSA, obviously, uh, their former defensive coordinator was Pete Golding, who's now at Alabama as a co-defensive coordinator with Tosh LuPoy. And so, you know, without uh, without Golding there this year, I think they really did take a step back 
defensively, but but Tauefa, still a very consistent player, still a very productive player. Um, I think it was Matt Rule, actually, who said that uh, that he thought that Tauefa was one of the best linebackers that he had faced this season. And obviously, you know, playing in the Big 12, they're playing a lot of good linebackers, uh, you know, playing teams like TCU, whatever. And, and Matt Rule has coached some really great linebackers in his day, and he said Tauefa was as good as any of them. So that's a good sign for, for Tauefa that he can con, uh, contribute at the next level. I'm curious to see what he, where he ends up going. You know, Tyrell Dodson, a really good player. Sternberger, obviously, another no-brainer decision. Uh, Sternberger was the best pass-catching tight end in the country this year. <laughs> you know, AM fans have been talking about for years. Oh, man, we just need to throw to the tight end. And You know, I mean, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But I'll tell you what, if you've got players like Jay Sternberger on your roster not being used, that's on you because Jay Sternberger led the Aggies in receiving yards. Now, that had something to do with wide receiver injuries, but led the Aggies in receiving yards. was an absolute dynamic uh downfield threat made some big catches some big touchdowns for Kellen Mond in a couple of big games uh Sternberger no-brainer to enter the NFL draft even more so with Travion Williams Travion Williams established himself as one of the best running backs in the country this year as a true junior no less uh Williams actually ran for exactly one mile this season 1,760 yards and I mean he's probably not a three down back in the NFL but he's a fantastic fantastic first and second down back uh, and I, I think that a team will probably take a chance on him fairly early, and I think that they'll be absolutely thrilled with their decision. Anyway, thank you so much to everybody for joining us. Uh, this has been the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan Jayaraja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell Sex Football. Thanks again to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. Now, remember, you can find all of our work at textfootball.com. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. You can like us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, to keep up with all the latest news. We actually just released an all-offensive and all-defensive all-state team. So, you know, we got to honor some of the best players uh, in college football in the state this season. We, uh, You know, we have sort of a loose partnership with the Earl Campbell-Tyler Rose Award. We awarded that to Kyler Murray. Make sure and also check out the recruiting issue, which you can get at TexasFootball.com. Uh, obviously, like we've mentioned before, Texas A&M offensive tackle signee now. Kenyon Green is on the cover from Atascacita High School in Houston. I don't know. I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> Again, we'll be back with you next week. Uh, we'll, we'll have a couple more interviews from this College Gridiron Showcase. Uh, we're hoping to have some good stuff for you the next couple of weeks, next couple of months. You know, the nice thing about the offseason is that it really gives us a little bit of time to plan <clears throat> in a way that we don't necessarily get to during the season. You know, I was I was hired, actually, just during August, so we kind of went in running. Now we'll have some time to sit back and plan, get some great interviews for you guys. We're, get, we're really excited. I know that college football is done, but we're just getting started. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will talk to you guys again next week.